Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Hey, this is Scott, and in this podcast, I'm chatting with Aaron Guyette. Aaron is the founder of Leaders of Leaders, the education director of Living.Fit. He's an infantry instructor with the Marine Corps Reserves, and he's the chief leadership development developer for SpecialForcesExperience.com. You guys, this interview kicks ass. You want to listen. We're going to talk about rites of passages for your kids. Aaron has built out a f- fabulous system to ensure that you give them the experiences and the learning opportunities to really tap into becoming the adult they are called to be. That's leaders of leaders. He also talks about homeschooling and how that was kind of not his vision, but how it's worked for him and his family. And then we do talk and broach upon the, po- the topic of Afghanistan, since he has gone through this and um, fought overseas, he had some really encouraging and great perspective on that situation. So listen up. Hey, before we get started with our interview with Aaron, as a man who desires to live up to his full potential as a father, husband, and leader, you need a tribe that will challenge you and help you grow. If you haven't joined the Brotherhood of Fatherhood Facebook group yet, be sure to hop on Facebook and search the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Join the most valuable group online for fathers where you can get practical and tactical advice and support to be the father, husband, and leader you are destined to be. Also, hop on Instagram, follow Scott Ramage or Brotherhood of Fatherhood, and uh, you'll get fed all of the information from these podcasts. You'll have all the updates and have some um, seriously good input on some conversations, or you can just read them and study from afar. Now on to our interview with Aaron. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the show, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. So uh, you and I kind of have a lot in common. So I really kind of want to unpack a lot of the things you're doing because they are really, really big passion points in my life. And so I just love hearing what other men are doing to basically improve other men. And uh, you've taken it like five steps further, which I'm super pumped to talk about. So um, first of all, why don't you just start and tell us kind of some of the things you do? Cause there's a lot here. Yeah. Uh, uh, if <laughs> I, I'm not trying to win any awards for like packing stuff in, but the thing is I, I had a professor of mine tell me in my, in my master's program that I did at Vanguard. Um, he said, if God opens a door, I just walk through it. Um, and, and so then that's basically what's happened with me. And, and so that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, if God opens a door and I have the capability and it's not like evil and immoral on the other side of that opening, I'm walking through it. So, yeah. So, uh, leaders of leaders have founded, well, I founded innovative results, uh, back in the day, sold that. Then I founded battle ropes education, uh, sold that to living.fit. Now I'm the education director for living.fit helping to kind of build that model inside of that fitness, um, uh, side of, of what I do, but then leaders of leaders is like really my passion project, much like your brotherhood of fatherhood, uh, which by the way is 
freaking amazing name. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so yeah, leaders of leaders. And, and it's about that. It's a systematic approach to intentional leadership. I don't know how to not have a strategic and tactical mind both, right? So I see things from 40,000 foot view, see things boots on the ground. And so then that's, uh, I'm trying to help leaders understand how to grow leaders as opposed to, I think a lot of times leaders just try to develop as many followers as possible. I'm like, all right, follow me. I don't um, think leadership, and, honestly. But yeah. No, I don't, I don't either. It's, yeah. it's good. It's okay. Leadership It's good yeah. leadership. It's not great leadership. That's for right. sure. Um, and so as what stemmed out of that is basically overnight, um, God put it on my heart to, uh, do a discipleship program. But in that I was already doing a rites of passage curriculum for my kids. And I'm like, this needs to be a nonprofit because I don't want to charge anybody for this. This is information that just needs to be in the hands of, of people that want to walk this stuff out. Um, and so I'm like, I'll just be crowdfunded slash donated uh, donation uh, fueled uh, organization. So I created a nonprofit out of leaders of leaders. It's a 501 C three now. Um, and then underneath it, it houses the systematic approach to intentional leadership, which is the, that leadership model, but then also rites of passage for children uh, so that they have, instead of just learning how to drive a car and turning 18 and being able to smoke cigarettes and look at porno mags and turning 21 and being able to drink beers, uh, better rites of passages, ones where you had to earn it and you could fail, um, but then also with some safety parameters, but like for sure, putting in that trauma and that challenge that I think is so important into any true rite of passage. And then, of course, ceremony at the end of that. So I've got a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old, and an 18-year-old rites of passage that I'm doing with my kids and guys like Angelo Cisco uh, that, you, that you know and other friends of mine are like, I fucking love that. Uh, I want to do that with my kids. Um, and I'm like, here, take it. You know, I just send them send them the curriculum. Like, this is, this is what I wrote out. You can change as much as you want, like go, go check it out. And then a uh, hundred in his strength discipleship, uh, discipleship in Christ, I think is going to disciples making disciples is going to be the most transformative way we can change the world. I think about what's happening in Afghanistan right now. And I was like, man, if every Christian that said that they were a Christian actually acted like a Christian, and then actually discipled other Christians. It would only take 16 and a half years if it was six month discipleship, uh, one on one discipleship for us to really have the entirety of the world being Christ disciples. And if we were Christ disciples, the travesties that we're seeing over there would not be happening. That's a guarantee. And I think that's the most effective way I can actually create impact and create change is by doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on that call in my life. Um, yeah. And so I don't know, here, here I am. Oh yeah. And I do reserve time with the Marine Corps. So when I'm not with this nasty stash, I shave it off and then I go down there and I instruct Marines and contractors in basically pre-deployment training. Uh, for them to go off on in deployment. And I, I teach basic uh, thousand level infantry skills like marksmanship and land nav and things like that. Um, and so I get to do that uh, for 45 days out of the year, which is like kind of a cool little Marine Corps vacation. And then I don't have to deal with all the bull crap. Sorry, I, I should have asked if I could cuss uh, on this. <laughs> I, I already you want people to be authentic. So. Authentic yeah, uh, matters. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the, that's the one kind of prevailing habit that I have that I look at it and I'm like, uh, I, 
if when God puts this on my heart to completely eradicate it, I will. <laughs> uh, but right now, it's like I don't know. It's just so infused because of the Marine Corps and Absolutely. my upbringing and whatnot. Yep. So yeah, it's a it's a hard habit to kill. But that's it. That's kind of like some of the hats that I that I wear. That's a lot to unpack. I want to start right right away. Well, I have a I have about five places I want to start, but the most <laughs> recent one of the most recent um, messages or, or posts one of our our guys in the Brotherhood of Fatherhood made was like, I need to understand some ideas or I want some ideas for rites of passage. And he's like, my son's turning sixteen, and here I have a son turning eighteen soon, and another son who's thirteen going to be kind of entering that age. And the, the conversation is just like, what have you guys done? And all these ideas came along. And unlike you, like I, I'm an operator operating, I can operate all day long, but coming up with the structure takes me a long time. I had to go do it. Then I come up with it. So to, uh, that, that tactical from the very beginning planning and tactical is the part I don't have. So when I, I didn't even realize this before we talked. So you said that as like, holy cow, this is what our guys need. I mean, like literally are asking for this. Uh, and, and that post was starting to get quite a bit of, of, um, of following. So, you know, how far along are you in that process? What does that look like? And, and this is a nonprofit. This is a thing where, for, where guys can come and get resources from you and then pay. If oh, yeah. Money, right. Yeah, I mean, I would just share my Google Drive with them and then they could see what I've built and then pull it, download it, change it, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, at some point, I'll probably, it will probably be a little sexier and have some marketing, you know, wrapping and bows and stuff on it where, you know, maybe it's like, hey, if you could donate X amount of dollars to get this. But right now, I just share it with people and I'm like, yeah, here. I mean, some rendition of this is going to be better than no. Uh, rendition of this. If we're not implementing it for our kids, I, I believe that we're setting our kids up for failure. We can already see that in our work a day, day to day life and world right now. Like kids are, are unfortunately just not set up to handle friction and trauma and triggers and, you know, all of those things. And quite frankly, I mean, uh, even, you know, we see it in with PTSD and stuff with, with guys that come back, whatever, we just were not set up with the tools to be able to kind of unpack and have that trauma be a growth thing as opposed to a stress disorder thing, right? So it's post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic stress disorder. You, you really get one or the other. And a lot of that is like tools on how to be able and principles on how to be able to walk through that well. And so I want to give that to my kids. So I thought it through all the way to when they are adults, I, I want them to be able to ha- be confident and competent and their abilities when they turn 18 to know that they've, they've got this thing on lock. They can go out and they can establish autonomy and mastery and, and feel a sense of purpose and meaning in their life. And so I thought, you know, so reverse engineer, like if that's, if that is what I want to be able to teach and parent intentionally with my kids, reverse engineer, then what is that going to take? And so, uh, you know, for the 18 year old, basically, my kids, they have to, for the 18 or rite of passage, they have to be able to have either started and failed or, or succeeded at a business or a nonprofit. They had, they had to have had, um, some sort of, uh, long-term, uh, outside of the United States missions. And so long-term, at least, uh, I shouldn't say long-term short-term to long-term, but at least a couple of weeks, if not like 
a month or six months or three months or something like that outside of the United States. I, they, I, everybody in the United States needs to get out of the United States Absolutely. to realize how amazing the United States of America is. Um, you go to India, you go to Afghanistan right now, uh, Afghanistan at any point, really, uh, Iraq. Um, I was, I was in Moscow, Russia. I've been in, uh, some of the islands in the Caribbean or whatever. Like we've got it really good here and it's not perfect, you know, cause we're human. And so humans are really good at not doing things perfectly, but we've got it really good. Anyway. So outside of the United States, inside of the United States as well, some sort of uh, mission or, or ministry, um, some sort of civil understanding. So we have something in Idaho called Idaho youth government, where you get to go take over the capital for a day, but you got to learn your, your, uh, particular trade or your particular position. So are you the governor? Are you a legislator? Are you, uh, a judge? Are you a lobbyist? But the cool part is then you learn and understand our government a little bit better. Um, so some sort of uh, governance and civics lesson. Um, and then they have, they don't have to go to college or university. And then I, I'm actually going to try to convince them that that might not be the best choice unless they're trying to become a doctor or veterinarian or something like that. Um, but they've got to apply to at least three colleges or universities five scholarships uh, applications and then they have to score well on their ACT and SAT. Um, and then, so then, but then the, I think the more important and crucial thing, they have to do a trade. They have to learn a trade. So my brother's an electrician. I've got a, another friend who's like a brother, who's a mechanic. Um, those are two really great trades and it starts off paying really well. So they can always fall back on their trade if they, if they need to or want to when they turn 18. Um, and so that's basically between 16 and 18, they have that, those two years to accomplish those things. Um, so, you know, people are like, oh, where's the academics? Well, from my understanding, if we're homeschooling, they should actually be done with their academics at 16. Yep. Um, and, and, and so there's a 16 year old rite of passage that you finish your academics and then we go do that. And if they don't, that's fine. You still have two years to figure that out and walk that out. If they want to go to a traditional public high school, I think they'll be old enough to make that decision at that point. So they can, they can do that as well. Um, but then they're going to have to fit a lot of that into their summers and into their off times. Um, but there's, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, you know, this being an entrepreneur, right. Uh, you could totally do this. So that's the 18 year old, the 16 year old then to prepare them for that. I thought they need to have something that's, <clears throat> extremely difficult that's guaranteed to have psychosocial friction, uh, environmental friction, <clears throat> physical uh, difficulty, physical challenge, mental difficulty, mental challenge, uh, planning and strategy challenge, right? And then some sort of training evolution uh, challenge to, to bring them to that point. And so I thought, well, what's, what's uh, more perfect than having them do a at least a 10 to 14 day backpacking trip where they lead our entire family. So once you put our entire family in there, it's like, I'm there. So as a safety measure, but I'm really there to be led. Um, and so if you're going to screw it up, I can just watch you screw it up. And so my wife and I have this agreement, like, Hey, if they screw up, we let them screw up. If they get lost, we let them get lost. Like only if, our, our lives depend on it. Do we step in and actually help write the ship, you know, or, or figure out where we're at. But then if that happens, then they know they fail and then they've got to go back to training and then they've got to try to do that rite of passage again. Um, and so, but a backpacking trip, you have to plan for supply. 
Like, how are you going to create, uh, you know, your supply caches and, and exchanges and all of that? You got to plan the route. That means you have to know land nav. You should also know some sort of uh, medical, right? Uh, um, uh, buddy aid, self aid, uh, first aid type stuff. Uh, you've got to, um, you've got to know how to pack. You've got to know how to uh, do wilderness survival, right? You got to know how to start a fire. You got to know how to pick a route. You got to know how to make last minute decisions. And then you put the family into that. And now you're guaranteed to have communication conflict, right? Yeah. So you've oh, got to yes. be able to start communicating at a high level, leading at a high level, like from the first step. Cause if you don't, things are going to fall apart. People are going to get pissed. And then you're going to be stuck with everybody that you don't want to be stuck with on this, you know, 13 day, 10 day, 14 day, you know, extravaganza, uh, uh, and, or ridiculousness. But then the other thing is you have to plant. So you have to do accounting and budgeting. You've got to actually do some sort of physical training plan. Cause you can't just jump right into that. Cause then everybody's going to be smashed right <laughs> on day one. And you're just all going to be pulling each other, you know, to the next points as you go along. Um, so that is their 16 year old rite of passage. But then I thought, I don't want to set them up for failure. I want to set them up for success. So that we have a 12 year old rite of passage and it's a five day. Each day has a physical component and a, and a mental spiritual component. Um, and so the beginning is, is them paraphrasing what they believe and why they believe what they believe. Um, so the, the cool part of these rites of passage is it actually puts the accountability on the parents mm. to make sure that we're intentional about teaching these things. Now, when my daughter's nine, when my other daughter is six, when my son is, you know, he's about to turn three. If I'm not intentional in teaching these things, these things that I'm setting them up for six, uh, for failure on their 12 year old rite of passage. Um, there's like marksmanship involved in it. There's survival involved in it. There's first aid, you know, buddy aid, AED, CPR, you know, all of that, all of this stuff that I've learned in the Marine Corps, I get to gift them with. Um, but as well, like all the things that my wife is teaching through the academic piece, um, they get to actually utilize it. So it actually makes them want to study. It makes us want to teach it because if not, the purpose is, you know, it should be the purpose is for the greater good of humanity um, and for their, you know, for the greater good of them in their adulthood. But oftentimes we forget about that stuff and everything is just about checking boxes and, you know, getting your attendance and, you know, passing, but not actually learning. And so right. to me, it's like, let's learn how to learn. And then let's learn things that are going to uh, be needed for these rites of passage that then we'll be able, we'll be able to have them with us. And even if we've forgotten, we know how to go resource them and reference back to understand, okay, I need to relearn X trade or, or X uh, academic understanding or this mathematical formula or whatever, because now I'm in this position and I, I need that. Um, and so, yeah, uh, so that's where we're at uh, now. We're just walking out the, it's seemingly mundane of learning with intentionality, um, but with a purpose behind it. Yeah. <laughs> you hit so many little points there. One, number one is uh, one of the very first values that we, my, um, jo the co-founder, co Josh Price and myself uh, came up with was we are, we're commissioned to raise future adults. And you just basically laid out, like when you look at a very good leader, a very good successful adult. Now I'm not defining success as a career because, you know, that, that doesn't yeah. define anything, but, uh, 
when you look at that and you backward construct it or deconstruct it, you're literally building in the, the building blocks that are so incredibly important for success as you go on. And you hit, you hit three things that I cover and talk about over and over and over. And I'm super passionate about, um, one is, is failure. I think failure is an absolute must. There's just, and, uh, something even, so my, my, my perspective is a little different because I messed up early on. This is, I, I was career focused, uh, bro focused, really kind of uh, a misaligned identity and raising my very, very young boys. I was absent because I was building, you know, epic businesses and, um, and, and doing whatever it took. And then moving forward, you know, that you, you just learn from your experiences. Now I'm 48. I have a 13 year old and almost an 18 year old and I'm, and I'm doing my very best kind of backing into it, but looking at what you've done is so phenomenal. I found myself this year, my son's turning 18 and I'm just so extremely thankful because he's gotten really into the leadership end of a very, very, very competitive, um, marching band, which I would have never picked, but like, he's so passionate about it. And he's, I mean, we're like, in the top 10 in the nation, his school from Texas, you know, you do everything big. So he's traveling all around, doing all these crazy things, but he gets into this leadership, the highest level leadership they have. And it's run all all the, all the, um, the positions are named after other military things. It's very much run like that. And, uh, and he, he'll come home and he's just stressed. And he's like, I don't know how to deal with this. And at first I'm like trying to give him the answers. And it's just like this, that's what we do. We just like, I want to give you the answers instead of, yeah. I'm going to let you fail. I'm going to give you maybe a little here, a little foundation here and, mm-hmm. and some ideas, but I'm going to go let you do it. And man, it's been such an incredible experience. His growth has been just absolutely astronomical in the last few months, just really having all this pressure on him, all these young, younger uh, students asking him, looking up to him, and then you know behaviors based on how he's directing them. It's just been amazing. So failure is absolutely yeah. such an important part. Intentionality. Intentionality is, I mean, you hit it on those. I don't even know. That is like the most intentional plan I've ever heard for youth being raised into great adults. And I honestly, I was public educator for 13 years, having gone through that and watching what's going on in our world. I'll, I'll plant my flag in the ground and say, if I were to start over right now, I'd be homeschooling. Zero mm. question about it because there's so much, so much opportunity. And like you said, like the learning should be done at 16. There's so much wasted time. And, um, yeah. and so I'd love that. And then doing hard stuff. I mean, I've told the story a million times. It's why I have a, a picture of a Buffalo or a bison behind me, because those guys, when a storm is coming, they run into it, they run straight for it. They decide to run through it so that they can, um, you know, weather it quicker, get on it, get past it and grow. Uh, so, and thrive really. So I'm just like totally blown away by what you've done, but like the challenges we're so, as a, as a society, we're so tuned into guarding our kids and like, Ooh, that's going to be a challenge. I don't want them in it. And so, man, I just, I, I, I love what you're doing. The, uh, let's talk a little bit about homeschooling. So you have your oldest is nine and have you homeschooled from the very beginning? No. So I would have never I would have never have even had our kids homeschool, but COVID happened. They were like, Oh, we're going to teach your kids on screens. And I was like, no, we're not horrible. No, we are. We aren't (laughs) you guys might, but we are not. So I started looking at some other options and then that's when, Oh man, I went to a a couple of like 
homeschool summits and like seminars and stuff. And I started to calculate all of the wasted years in my life. Yeah. I was like, man, I wasted eight of the 12 years of my life. And the thing is, it wouldn't have been a waste if there was a lot of challenge. And I had some really good teachers that really helped me out. Right. So not to, I'm not bagging on the whole thing, but I was like, man, but so much of it was just a waste and not challenging. And for me, like I I was pretty smart. And so I could just not do the homework. I could go out and smoke weed and party and do whatever, and then come in and even high, like ace the test or get a B on the test. And then I pass the class and I'm okay. Next one, next one. And it's like, man, imagine if I would have been challenged, like I was challenged in the Marine Corps, you know, when I left high school, because I was just, I was so hungry for it. Um, imagine, you know, I, the whole story might have been completely different. And I'm, I'm happy about my story now because it puts me in that perspective. Um, but yeah, so we would have never have done it. You know, the homeschool stigma, the weird kids, all that stuff. Um, but the thing is, like, with technology, with access to information, um, and with access to all of these extracurricular activities where they can socialize and socialize at a way better level than socialization tends to happen in classrooms and stuff. Cause yeah, maybe you socialize between classes in high school, or if you're in one class with one teacher, it's like you socialize a little bit at recess and then kind of in the back corner and get yelled at by the teacher, you know, here and there, but it's not real socialization. Like when our kids go to Brazilian jujitsu or they go to gymnastics or they go out and just play. Right. Um, and just create their own games and things like that. And so, man, I was like, oh yeah, we don't, we're not gonna have the weird homeschool kids for sure, because they're going to be highly socialized in a bunch of different environments with a bunch of, uh, around a bunch of different really good leaders, you know, that the cool part is if that leader sucks, like if the gym gymnastics uh, coach or whatever is just horrible and is abusive or something like that or toxic, I could just pull them out. If that happens in school, it's so hard to pull your kid out of that classroom and put them into a new classroom. So yeah, just, there's just too many benefits and, and yeah. And then also too many risks and issues and stuff with the public school system uh, and, and even private school, we were paying up gobs of money to send our kids to private school, you know, with this higher expectation mentality and things, but yeah, homeschool is, is now it's like, I wouldn't do it any other way. I was just having a conversation with my wife, um, you know, her and I have some very, we come from a long line of educators. So this is, we have some very, um, she's, she, our kids will finish in public school. They're at the age where they've, <laughs> they've heard us with the messaging over and over again. But when I taught, I started to think that parents could come in and watch. Parents were invited to come to the school, walk through the hall, come to your room, sit down. And I loved it. Like, and it kept me really, really sharp. And, you know, I would, uh, let me, if you're a listener of this podcast, you've heard this before. I didn't fit in education because I was all about the experience, giving kids like, what do you want to learn about? How do you want to learn about? Let's go tackle it. And and the curriculum, when I first started early 2001, actually, my first week is uh, September 11th. So I watched that on the screen on my way, <laughs> as soon as I got to school, but uh, in 2001. But in that time, I had a lot of uh, autonomy in the, in the, in the content. And it was, it was, beautiful. It was absolutely incredibly engaging. And then it got more and more and more directed and, um, and it, you just became a machine. You, you plug in kids into this box and it's been like that forever, but it has gotten so bad. I was telling her, we were talking the other day. I'm like, do you realize 
we're not even allowed to go in the school anymore. And we have fab, this is Texas in a, in a high property tax area, really, really amazing schools. The teachers are super happy. We're not even allowed to step inside the school yeah, at wow. all. And unless it's open house and none, no less, like what is going on in those classrooms? I was talking to an educator and he's like, last year, I didn't even see the other teachers. We weren't allowed to meet together. We were in our own little room doing the screen thing. And, you know, massive teachers quit because it was so stressful. That was the year before last, excuse me. And then last year was, you're still in your own little eco bubble and it's changed and there's no accountability and that, that there's no, like put a camera. I know it's weird and I would have thought it, but put a camera in those freaking classrooms. So we know what's being said at the end of the year, like son texts me, he's in middle school. He texts me. He's like, look at my yearbook cover. And it was like stickers from the year. The most prominent was um, gay pride, uh, not, not voting, but Biden. And then, um, and then black lives matters, a, the, the actual organization sticker on there. And we're like, are you freaking kidding me? Well, it comes out that this art teacher uh, had done this work, told the, told the staff that are, or the administrator kids had done the work and they're like, uh, uh-uh. uh, and she'd been passing out black Lives matter stickers. And this is in a very, very conservative area. So I look at those things and I'm like, those are outside of like, where like, they're, they're just too politically driven for a school to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm guiding that conversation. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about any of those topics, but I know where I stand and how I want my kids to understand those topics. Yeah. And I was so proud. My son is like, this is very uncomfortable and I hate it. That's the, com- you know, the text he sent to us at, at 12. I was like, yes. But uh, if that can happen in schools now behind closed doors, no one knows about it. And then the, the, um, the conversation or the dialogue around it is, well, the kid, this is what the kids wanted, which was very skewed. That's a scary yeah. situation. I want nothing. Yeah, it is. No. Yeah, exactly. It, it, well, and the thing is like, you know, parents, w- when we send our kids to school or whatever, we lose, we lose some of that uh, ability to be their mentor, to be their teacher. Um, and we just thought, man, how, how amazing is it that, you know, it, especially if, if a parent cares and a parent is intentional, like, we, we know just looking at studies in that, you know, like the, those kids are going to end up typically end up way better. Um, and so how, how cool is it that we get to take that opportunity to, to really do what we were actually, what humans were doing like a hundred years ago, it wasn't that long ago, you know, um, 150 years ago. So we get to, and then, but we get to also teach them things that, you know, we never, would have been able to teach 150 years ago. It's like, no, I'm going to teach you the craft that I know. And then that's what you're going to do when you grow old. Now it's like, no, I'm going to teach you as much as I can teach you. But more importantly, I'm going to teach you how you can learn. So then you can literally do whatever you want. Right. And uh, yeah. And there, there should never be uh, to me. It's like, it's not about politics. It's, it's not even a like we can take current events and then, teach let's teach critical thinking about that let's teach logic about that let's you know let's teach how to process these things but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna teach you how you need to think that's my way of thinking like man even as a parent i don't want to do that with my children i want to give them values 
that are actually solid and logical and common sense values. Um, and I want to give them truths, but I don't want to say, oh, you need to think this way. Um, and if you don't think this way, then you know, you're a horrible person or you're well, the enemy or whatever. Yeah. And that's where I draw the line when that starts to happen in the school where teachers like you need to think this way or you're just wrong in our yeah. home, our whole goal, very much like what you just said is here's the underlying values we have. And then we mm -hmm. want to have those conversations. And now our 17 year old son is able to have those conversations and, and speak from his own point of view. In fact, he goes and researches things on his own and talks to him. I'm like, whatever, that's awesome. Like let's have yeah. a conversation. And it's, it's very, I just, I'm just blessed that that wasn't, um, maybe my wife had more to do with that than me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing that, um, I've, I've noticed is I do know a lot of homeschool. There's a lot of homeschool kids and, um, in our community. And I did, I went to this, uh, ninth grade kind of rite of passage type year long thing with my son called man up and our church mm -hmm. does it. And you go and you, you shoot guns and you learn gun safety and you learn how to actually repair a tire, not just swap tire, you know, um, and you do all of these tie, tie a tie, all these things. You go through these lessons for awesome. quite a while. It was really, it was really cool. Uh, but there was a lot of homeschool kids in there and I noticed, okay, I think there's two really what has happened for a long time is there's the homeschool kids who are homeschooled because their parents are isolationists. They're, yeah. they're, they're not about other people. So they take them and they keep them all here. And then those kids come to this world and they're the most awkward. And that's where my son, yeah. right? I was like, I'm not, I want nothing to do with that. I can't even talk with those kids. They're so freaking weird. And, um, and I, you know, and I'm, I'm there going, yeah, they're weird. They yeah, they're weird. They have social interactions, but then there's parents like you that take their kids and, and my friend, Alec Jowdy and all these, they take their kids from very early on to BJJ and they take their kids and they're in gymnastics class and, uh, community sports and all these things. And there's so many opportunities to, to, um, have community and to develop yeah. social skills. Yeah. So it's, yeah. If, yeah. If you're homeschooling because you want to be an even stronger helicopter parent, <laughs> it's like, man, you, we were already talking about setting our kids up for failure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's even, even more so the case. It's like, yeah, that's, that's the last thing that I'm going to do. And the thing is my wife's maternal instinct is to protect. And that should be, I think that is a feminine trait and a maternal you know, yes. instinct. And, and so that is a good thing in certain dosages. But when that becomes the thing, they're like, man, that's where it's a detriment to the, the personhood and the development of this human, right? To be an adult and, and to be able to, okay, we, we have this conversation all the time in our house and it, and, and it's like, oh, I'm afraid or, oh, I'm intimidated or, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, why don't you want to do that? Well, I'm getting nervous or I, I don't know if I, can do it or, you know, all these things. And it's like, well, what, you know, this is awesome. You know, we get to get excited. Like, this is awesome. Well, why is it awesome? Well, this gives you an opportunity to practice courage and courage. Isn't doing something in the absence of fear, like just having this fearless. It's like, no, having fear and doing it anyways, like having fear and doing it and just this continuous, you know, mantra that gets spoken all the time in the, in the home. And uh, yeah, that can't happen if you're helicoptering at the no. highest level. No. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, but I did want to interrupt for just a second because I am super passionate about a new tool that I've found and been using for the last month or so. And if you're like me, the thought of writing copy puts me into cold sweats. 
but we all know that writing blogs, social media posts, web copy, ads, and more are part of life and can make a considerable impact on moving the needle to success in your business or job. We all know how difficult it can be to wrangle ideas, action words, and details, not to mention time constraints. Fear not. I have found a solution that allow, will allow you to easily crank out stunning copy in minutes. It's Jarvis, guys. It's probably hit your social media feed and you think it's too good to be true, but it is not. Jarvis is the latest artificial intelligence technology that will help you create content at lightning speed with little effort on your part or hefty fees for writers. You fill in two easy steps and it'll lay out descriptive paragraphs, both short and long-form articles, bullet lists, social media posts, blog posts, ad copy, SEO copy, Google ad copy. It gets super detailed. There are tons of templates to choose from. It's totally up to you. It's two steps, and it blows me away every time I use it. In fact, it just keeps getting better and better. So if you're like me the thought and thought it was too good to be true, trust me. This product kicks ass. I literally use it every single day for per personal and professional use. Just go try it for free and use my link. Uh, and it's in the show notes. I'm not going to read it to you because it's crazy. But go to the show notes, click on the link, sign up for your free trial. You will never look back. And this is a great way to support this podcast. Super simple for you, for your business. Send it to your boss. Send it to your friends. It will revolutionize workflow. The link is in the podcast notes. And if you want to support the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, this is a great way. So I want to, I want to kind of transition here from, a, from your perspective as a guy who's gone through combat. You've been in, in the military. You've, you, you, you're self-proclaimed prepper since you were nine years old. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, all of these things like one of the things that I really want to scream from the mountaintops and that I've learned over the last, I don't know how many years is just as men, you've got to go and challenge yourself all the time. You've got to continually be challenged. I, I have regular practices that set me up to be um, embracing suck almost every day. And it's not just yeah. the gym. It's got to be things that step a little bit outside. And I've noticed this, this, um, this kind of, rolling over and over. I have the, the stories that sell podcasts, which is more about the stories that lead people to uh, excellence in their business and success. And a very recurring theme is one of their daily things or weekly, they always do things that are really hard, whether it's, hey, every week I make sure I'm doing an, a rock and it's got to be harder than it was the week before. Or um, I just chatted with Brian Alexander, who does a, a long fast every month. He's like, it just is so hard. And that sometimes it's 10 days, sometimes it's three days because it's just going to always be really hard. And it's always challenging me. Very common theme over and over again. Many men right now were born and raised soft. They weren't born soft, but they were raised soft. They were raised yeah. in an environment where we protect, we, we cover, we make sure you're not uncomfortable. You know, oh, you're not doing great on the team. You can quit. It's no big deal. And um, so we have a, a, in my opinion, a massive problem with men who just don't understand the power of being challenged. Mm -hmm. So I want you to talk a little bit about that because like what I'm looking for, and you mentioned something earlier, my next thing, because I'm doing it to myself all the time, but my next thing is having someone else do it to me. I want to go th through something some really hard where 
it's even stepping me into a more of that pain cave and that place yeah. in my head where I really have to work because I know someone else will push even harder than I can myself. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I'd love for you to kind of chime in and you talked before we started recording, you talked a little bit about some of that stuff. Plus you've been, yeah. you know, uh, you, you, you've been in the past an instructor for on it for, I believe battle ropes and you've done a lot of <clears> stuff <throat> on there. So you're into the fitness thing and then the military. <clears throat> so yeah. why don't you just jam on that for a bit? Yeah. So, well, so first right out of the gate, I'll just plug specialforcesexperience.com or the specialforcesexperience.com. So I'm the uh, chief, I think now leadership develop, developer um, for them uh, before I was chief physical strategist. Um, sort of the same, same role. There's a physical component, but then there's a lot of it is like really layered in leadership. Um, and so with the specialforcesexperience.com, you can check out something called the process, which is like an eight day special forces selection process. Um, and that there's all sorts of layers of adversity and trauma and stuff in there, uh, for the person that's looking to have that be done to them, um, for sure. And, and you could be military, former military or, or civilian. Um, but most people that go are, are civilian and, uh, and they do one in Canada and then we just started, but we're doing one in the United States. Um, and so, and I basically, it's a tier one Canadian tier one operator. Um, so it's like our equivalent to like seal team six or, or dev grew is what they call it or, or uh, Delta, right? This the highest level. husband. Yeah. Okay. Jeff Dupati. Yeah. I met him. Yeah. All right, cool. Ah, there you go. So you awesome. know, yeah, cool. And not even more part of that. So this is even better. Yeah. 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 Um, and actually Rick Alexander has something uh, that he is working on called the art of adversity, similar, but different. So it's not really a selection where you can fail and be gone. Um, but it still is very obviously art of adversity. So it's very hard, but then there's kind of a Sherpa, a guide going with you and kind of helping you along the way and, and helping you uncover some, uh, unpack some of the stuff. Cause there's all sorts of like internal things that are going to come out when, you hit physical, physiological adversity, right? Which is why we should do physiological, but, uh, well, I'll get into that in a second. And then there's something that's a little, it's a softer serve, um, in that it's online and you can go at your own pace, uh, but it's called the trials and it's a 12 week kind of pre-recorded process. Um, and not process. I mean, it is a process. It's a journey for sure, but it's a 12 week ordeal, 12 week course. And there's a physical component, and then there's a mental component, and then there's a trials component. And now we've just added kind of a nutrition component uh, to that. And so then that's another sort of way that you can get into that if, if you want to have it sort of done to you and learn and glean from something, some sort of course, um, <clears throat> other than your own, you know, personal adversity stuff. But something I was telling Angelo is, I, so I've always sort of micro-dosed physiological trauma since a young age. Like, um, I just like to to run like weirdly. So, yes, um, so weird. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, and I liked to run to the point where I felt like I was going to have to quit or fail. It was like this really weird, like inborn thing that, I, and so much so that I, I would get timed uh, in PE and the PE instructor would talk to the cross country coach and would talk to the track coach. And then they would encounter me like in the hallway or whatever. And then, 
Hey, we really want you to run a uh, track or we really want you to run cross country. And I'm like, no, I run for me. I don't run for sport. Like I, I, I play real sports. You no, make them really but, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm sure. Now I look back and I'm like, man, why didn't I do that? I'm like, I could have totally done that, but I played soccer and I wrestled and I played football and whatever. So, I mean, that's where th- those things came out. And then it came out in the Marine Corps as well. Um, and so, and then also, you know, cold showers are a great example. Like I get anxious every time I have to take a cold shower and in Idaho, the cold showers are even colder than they were in Southern California. I'm like, Oh, this is horrible. Uh, but it, that is good. Like having to, you know, self-regulate, focus on breath, you know, all of those important things that, where we can tap into our parasympathetic nervous system or autonomic nervous system and drive parasympathetic as opposed to sympathetic to be able to think cognitively when we're experiencing trauma. Like these are a couple of tools that we can carry. But lately what I've been noticing is something that I started to do as sort of an entrepreneur coming out of the active duty Marine Corps back in 2004 is stepping in on purpose over my head um, Mm -hmm. to try to do something that's bigger than me um, and, and then learning that there's a new paradigm, there's a paradigm shift and a new equilibrium, a new homeostasis that gets established where now, oh, we're operating at a higher level. We're able to be cognizant and cog- cognitive about more things. We're able to delineate, delegate, right? At a, at a higher level. Uh, and so of, of course, like I do uh, right now, living fit is we're about to launch an app. Uh, we're helping build a small group training model for all of 24 hour fitness. Uh, and so that has me, you know, went way in over my head. Uh, and then on top of it, I'm like, oh, let's build my own house. So now we've decided to build our own house. So I've got to learn coding and, you know, all these things. But it's like I, that to me, I mean, those are the, those are the, you know, I can choose into things that are difficult, things that are hard. I can fail forward, learn to fail forward, learn that failure is okay. Like, cause failure, as long as we learn from it, like just gives us that stepping, you know, stone to take that next step or whatever. Um, so yeah, I like the physiological stuff is awesome. And I will always and continue to have that be a part of my practice. That's what has brought me to that psychological. And then need I even say I, I, spiritual, like, you know, God has opened up cans of worms that I didn't even know existed, right? With my, you know, emotional care, uh, with my spiritual formation process and spiritual disciplines um, that I didn't even know it existed. It's like, here's this can of worms, like, ah, but then the cool part is then it makes me remember that I can humbly approach this. I shouldn't have this air of hubris where I'm like, ah, you know, pride is leading it. Well, I did all these hard things so I can, you know, do more hard things because man, I'm, I'm amazing. And it's like, yeah, it's good to have confidence, but it's not good to have pride. It's not good to have that, you know, too much ego. It's not good to have hubris because that's when, you know, uh, the Jim Collins, how the mighty have fallen, right? His book is so good. It's like, it's hubris that brought them there. They were super successful and able to, you know, overcome all these challenges that now they think they can overcome every challenge, uh, have no mistakes and, and do the same plan over and over again. It's like, no, that's not life. Like, that's not how we live out our life. Um, we're going to encounter new seasons that are t- 
totally new that are, uh, you know, have never been seen before. So we should be seeking out wise counsel that have, have experienced these things to learn from them. Um, and, and also be okay with the fact that you're probably going to fail again, even though you've succeeded so many other times, probably going to fail. You're probably going to get humbled and it, it's okay. Like these things are good, um, for us, but to sit there and not pursue a challenge to not try to do something that's greater than yourself, man, like you literally stagnate and then you die, like you are dying, like yeah. you are a living dead person. And I walk around and I see zombies, you know, walking, it's like, dude, pick your fricking shoulders up, pull them back and, and know that you have so much unfulfilled potential in that soul of yours. And you're just letting it just wane away. You're just letting it, you know, go out to sea because you're not taking that step into the, because the thing felt abrasive and frictional and you didn't like that feeling. And so you went back into your comfy, safe, convenient bubble that we've created in the United States, which is great, but it's like, man, it, it should be, the confidence to step out into new frontier, to step out into new um, land. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, those are, those are some of the things that I, I do now and some of the ways that I approach that. That's really good. I, I get so, I don't get frustrated. I used to get frustrated, but I, I'm literally baffled when I'm around other men my age who are just living in a, you know, <laughs> just, just easy, nothing. They don't want to do anything that's challenged. Don't want to step out of their bubble, super happy and content, but they're not. The story is they're super happy and content, but you just don't see life. It's, it's just zombie land. Yeah. Uh, one thing I have really struggled doing is cold water immersion or cold showers. Now I do live in Texas and cold showers in the summer, they're still, it's still a little jolting. It's cool. Yeah. But oh, yeah. It, it's, uh, <laughs> but I still feel a little wimpy. I'm really working in it. But that's one thing I love about that. I have a buddy that lives in Canada. He lives in, um, I think, Alberta. And like he has to break the ice in his tub every morning and go and get in it, right? I mean, he videotapes it. He does lives and he just breaks it. And then he gets in and you see this. And it's all about that breathing. What I love about that is almost no matter how often you do it, you never adapt. No. Yeah. And, and that's that's like really like that's really intrigued me. I've tried multiple times and failed. And now I'm like every day, I'm like, I just have to do it because if he can get in in Alberta where I don't know what the temperature is, negative 20 Fahrenheit every day and and break ice and get in, like I'm being a complete wuss, not being able yeah. to shower for one minute or whatever the time is that I'm working on it. Hey, I'm a wuss with it too. I, yeah. I did a 10 week Wim Hof. I've taken his, his, his other coursework or whatever. And then even now I'm like, how am I still getting anxious and freaked out? And oh, like yeah. once the water hits you, like what is going on right now? It's, but it's that's, that's, that's the beauty of it for it sure. <laughs> so practical advice from you. So Let's let's start with me because I'm very selfish, <laughs> but I know there's a lot of guys in my in my my shoes. So I'm 48. I've rounded the area of my peak. To, actually, I'm stronger than I've ever been. But you know, there's like we were talking before this. I had my quad just snap on me just doing my first workout today, and and my body just breaks easier. So in this position, you talked about this special forces experience. You talked about some other things. A guy like me, I work out every single day. You know, I do fast walk, ruck, at least 25 to 30 miles a week. You know, it's just very consistent lift every day. Um, 
what would something like what I would do, even though my, and my, but my body isn't what it used to be. It'll, it'll break easier. Uh, and you mean in terms of like sort sort of of experience, yeah, like a culminating event or something like that. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, honestly, the, so there's a couple of ways that you can approach this one. Uh, so I joined, and this is when I was in my twenties, but it would be the exact same now. I mean, obviously I'd be a better swimmer now. Um, but I joined masters, uh, swim, like a master's swim and they're all over the United States, right? I think they're all over the world. Um, and you could probably just, you know, hit up, call your local pool or whatever, and see if they have a master's program, master's swim program. Um, I joined that and, you know, so they have, they have lanes and the far left lane. So for you, far left lane, right. Is where the slow swimmers are. Like they didn't have a lane for me. I was so slow and so yeah. crappy, yeah. but that was, that was actually something it was a long-term experience of mm. a lot of trauma, but then I, but then the cool part is like, I got, I got better at it. Um, and not like horrible trauma or whatever, but I like, I mean, I was like close to drowning. Like, and then this is, I was in the Marine Corps. I had tried out for uh, something called McQuiss. Uh, so it's like basically a water survival course or whatever. And I couldn't make it. That was the one thing that I couldn't, um, that I, I just failed. It wasn't that I quit. I just failed. I had to tread with a brick over my head. And I was treading with the water over my head as well. And you just can't do that for that no, long. No. <laughs> so, so something like that, I think is, is incredible because you think about it, it's super low impact, right? But it's really high resistance and not just water resistance, resistance, but it's like really difficult. It's really challenging and you will learn and you'll be able to measure your success as you get into the, you know, the next lanes or whatever. And maybe you only move one lane or two lanes over, but you move one lane or two lanes over from where you started. Um, something like that, I think is, is really good, a really good kind of culminating event. But even the, the 12 year old rite of passage that I wrote, um, I, I mean, I would do it myself. I would have an adult do it and you can, so you can have sort of, uh, bumpers like, you know, when you're bowling or whatever, you can have these, those little bumpers because each day you're done, when you're done, you get to go home, you get to go sleep, you get to go whatever. But then the next day you got to get up and there's a new challenge and a, a new thing that you have to confront, um, in a, in a new realm. And so, you know, I can, I'll, I'll be able to share that, um, whether it's through your Facebook group or through your website or straight up to you or whatever. Um, but even just doing that and you don't have to do all of the academics or whatever that, that are involved in it, but there's a lot of physiological and psychological challenges. Um, the art of adversity that, uh, Rick Alexander is putting together. I think that would be perfect. The, the 12 week, the trials would be perfect. And then the trials would let you know, okay, I was able to complete that and do that. So now do I, do I want to level up? Is my body physiologically able to, you know, level up and, you know, turn on the volume, turn on some more intensity or whatever to prepare for something like the process where it's, you know, you got to have even a higher level of physical shape as well as you got to be psychologically tough, um, too. Um, but there's, there's definitely psychological toughness that's involved in the 12 weeks. So I put, um, operators that are going into selection. I've put now, uh, over a dozen different operators in different, um, high level selections, right? So MARSOC, Force Recon, uh, our, our Force Recon SARCs, which is like the Corman version, the medical version, whatever of Force Recon, um, SWIC, so Navy SWIC and Navy SEAL. So Rick Alexander was Navy SWIC, but then he taught um, down in Coronado uh, the 
basically the what you see on television when you see all the Navy SEALs go through their horrible <laughs> time, hell week, and and before that and beyond that, right? Um, so he was an instructor down there. Um, and then also PJs, so Air Force PJs. And I put together a six-month and a 12-month program. And part of the part of the the deal with the six-month and 12-month program is there's a ton of volume, right? So you're basically it's a it's a progressive overload of volume. <clears throat> because I know if, if you can progressively overload to certain hours in in a day of volume, then that means you've got a couple of things going for you. One, physiologically, you'll be able to handle a lot of different load from a lot of different angles, you know, and and all of the physical hard stuff that that comes at you will still be physically hard, but you'll be able to handle it because you've kind of been in these situations before in the training, whatever. And it was dosed to progressive overload. So it's following science as opposed to just like smashing you and seeing if you break, right? Which is a lot of like old school military mindset. And they're, st- I, they're wanting to come out of that mindset, but there's still a lot of that culture going on there. Um, <clears throat> but then the, the other component is you're able to do like really boring things solo for a really long period of time. Like that to me is way harder than, you know, getting beaten, right? Oh, yeah. uh, because I'm getting, if I'm getting beaten with a bunch of bros and, and we all know like, hey, as long as we all stay in this together, like we're in this together, like it sucks, you know, deployment sucks or, you know, push to Baghdad sucked, right? There was like, we were out running our supply train, uh, chain, we were running, you know, train or we were running out of water, we were running out of food. We, we weren't clean, you know, the entire time, you know, never clean, getting in firefights, getting shot at or whatever. But it's like, hey, we're in this together. And then so you look back on it with rose colored glasses during the time it was brutal and shitty and, you know, embracing the sack, like you said. But if you could do that alone, man, that's a whole other level of, of mental toughness. And so that's another thing that they, they got to carry with them into their selection. Um, and then just the the brutality and the monotony of consistency. Um, but how, you know, that water dripping will create a hole in the rock, but the rock is way harder, way stronger, way tougher, we would call it than the water, but that's not true. Like the water bores a hole just by its sheer consistency over time. At some point, I'm going to get through this thing. And to be able to have that mindset is, uh, I think just an incredible skill, uh, that I think we can build. And obviously DNA I'm sure plays a role that some of us are maybe predisposed to this and and are already kind of a little bit better at it, but it's, it's not that you you can't learn it. It just, it just sucks to learn, right. (laughs) Staying consistent day in and day out on something. Um, even if it was a passion, right. And it becomes difficult and it becomes work. Like to me, that's when our purpose becomes epically clear. The meaning in our purpose becomes epically clear. If it's true purpose, right? That we have established, like we'll stay at it, even when it sucks, even when it's hard, even when um, it's monotonous. Um, and so that was, so stuff like that, I think is, is what we can carve out, especially as we get older and hormonally, we're just not where we used to be. Right. And yeah. injuries tend to happen a little bit more and stick around a little bit longer. Right. I, I'm rolling jujitsu. And finally, I'm to the point where I'm conditioned. I just started doing it in May or April, end of April. And I'm finally to the point where I'm conditioned where it doesn't create, as long as I stay at a you know certain level, it doesn't create like new pains and, and things like that. Now, obviously accidents can happen because it's one person against another person or whatever. And then I can experience 
pain and injury and things like that. But I'm not, in, I was injuring myself, like just over gripping, mm -hmm. I had over gripping injuries. I had shoulder issues. I had scapular issues. I had hip issues. I was like, what in the heck? But I took, you know, again, consistency over time and then knowing when to pull back, right. And rest and recuperate and recover and things like that. And then, okay, go back in. And then slowly over time, I was able to microdose to a level where, okay, now I can roll pretty hard. And with even like the, the spaz white belts and then the, the really seasoned black belts or whatever, and not feel like I'm going to do trauma and, and, and damage to myself. Um, but yeah, it just, it just took a lot longer because I'm 40. I'm not uh, 20 anymore <laughs> where I could get that injury. And then the next day I'm back in there bouncing around. Oh, you know, let's just shake it off. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the message of uh, the time, you know, I, yeah. I, I really talk a lot about habit stacking, just starting small and just 100%. continually, 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 almost to where it's worse to not do it than it is to do it. Like today, because I injured myself, I can't walk it, you know, my day starting with a 45 minute out there that's, and I have my whole process around that. It's, it totally throws everything off. And that used to be hard to get to do every day. I don't want to do it. It's a waste of my time. All these things now, same with, with lifting weights. It gets to the point where my I am off if I don't do it, and that's what creates the uh, breaking through the rock, right? Just that yeah, yeah, monotonous blip, blip, drip, and yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, yeah. I don't know how you're doing on time because we are. Are, are you good? Okay, because I want to. Yeah, you've talked about um, your experience in um, the military. You've talked about being deployed overseas, and I know it's, it plays a large role in your own personal development. I, I've heard the story of your journey from, you know, becoming a believer and how that, how you've kind of processed and worked through, but I really kind of want to touch on something that's really sensitive to a lot of guys who've, uh, who've served. And, and since you are one of those guys, I want to, I want to talk about the current situation in Afghanistan, but more, more, more importantly, how to handle that and what you've kind of been going through. We don't necessarily get any, get into the political end, just the yeah. processing. And no, I'm bringing politics. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care, but I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, well, bring it. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is, uh, we were talking before, before we started, uh, where we might cry or whatever this, I may, I may, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I feel like maybe I'm cried out. I don't know. It's so funny. I would tell people that my tear ducts got seared in boot camp, and I really didn't cry like from, I think, 14 years old, I like just decided like, this is just not going to happen. Um, and it was actually not healthy. <laughs> and I, and so I didn't really, I remember in church, I was probably like a couple months after I was saved, I just started like bawling and I couldn't stop. It was like, you know, when you see the ugly cry on, with the kids and like, hey, I'm gonna yeah. go up, you know, like <laughs> it was totally like, I just couldn't, I was like, you need to drive me home. Hi. It, it was cool. It was a really amazing Holy Spirit experience. It was like, I was just overwhelmed with God's love for me and, and his forgiveness and all of the horrible, crappy things that I had done, um, up until that point. So it was pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, so I basically it's a three pronged answer. Um, and I think all of these, all of these responses are absolutely value, valid. And actually Rick Alexander and I were talking about this on the phone and he's like, I told guys like, like, hold on to what you're feeling, like feel that feeling right now so that we can make better decisions in our future, 
right? When we're entering into agreements or potential agreements with the things, you know, the relationships that we have with people. And then on the larger scale, obviously nationally with other nations and stuff like that, like what, what are we willing to commit? What are we willing to do? And so let's, let's feel the pain of this moment so that we don't experience the, the crap that is going on right now, the just horrible travesty that that's going on right now. So obviously there, there are some military still there, there's a, you know, thousands, literally tens of thousands of uh, Americans and then allies uh, that are stranded, at, you know, outside of the airport and stuff like that. Um, we're seeing, you know, kids get handed up um, over like HESCO barriers or whatever to Marines or soldiers or whatnot. And, and then they're either taking them to care for them and then give them back or they're they're taking them to live a better life. And that's like how much people are literally holding on to jets and then falling off, of course, because that's what you would do if the jet goes 200 miles an hour or 150 miles an hour or whatever, like you're not going to hold on to that or getting crushed by the wheels as they come in, right? The landing gear as it comes in uh, because it's so bad. Um, and so then, you know, obviously that the so bad is where that's like the sticking point. That's the frictional point for anybody that served um, in Iraq or Afghanistan or just anybody that's a U.S. citizen that like my wife is crying, you know, tears because she's like, what the heck, you know? Um, and so a lot of my buddies have basically created a defense mechanism that's like the ethics, you know, like, oh, F them, let the world burn kind of a thing. And I, like, I don't necessarily think that that's healthy, but I think that that's still a valid vantage point and a valid thought to have. It's because it's like, you know, it's, it'll, it's allowing them to not have to grab onto the travesty and feel the pain of that. And so they're protecting themselves at this point, right. By saying, you know, effort, let the world burn. Unfortunately, I don't think that that stems from a deep sense of purpose and meaning. Um, you know, if I, I believe that if you have a deep sense of purpose and meaning, it's really difficult to start doing that because right these are all humans. These are all individuals um, that, that matter. Um, but at the same time, I totally understand that perspective and sit with that, right. Hold space for that, feel that. Um, and, and then ask, you know, so, so then what does that mean? Right. What does it mean? You know, let the world burn. What does it mean to just say F it? Um, and what does that mean to you? And, and how, how is that, um, working in your life. Um, and so, and what that might do is, okay, so maybe things might shift. Some values might get removed or added or aligned in a way to maybe bring a sense of purpose and meaning into your life because you just see this lack of and, and how, um, how much utter despair that makes you feel, how empty that makes you feel. And, and how hurt that makes you feel to, to try to, you know, bridge some sort of connection with that trauma and with that travesty. Um, and so I think that there's good and positive that can come out of that. Um, and, and I also think that that's a very valid perspective and a very protective perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't want to take that from anybody that's feeling that <clears throat> right now. And I've got buddies, like really close friends that I went to combat with and have seen some shit. And they've, they feel that. And I'm like, yeah, man, I just had actually one of my buddies. We had had a, uh, 
texts back and forth. And I just shared with him how I was feeling about it. And he's like, man, I just never really thought about it from that viewpoint. And he's like, man, that, that's, a, that's a lot of, that's a, a lot of food for meditation and food for thought. Um, thank you. And he thanked me for that. And um, I'm like, yeah, well, thank God, not me. Uh, but the second one is <clears throat> why, why were we there? What was the point of all this? Um, why did I watch my buddy like stop breathing, you know, and like, he doesn't, ex- my buddy doesn't exist anymore. And I'm over here. It didn't happen to me. I wish it would have happened to me. Right. Kind of a thing. And, and it was for no reason. Like we're just giving it back to the Taliban. Like, dude, that that's like, that's super effed. Like that is not cool. And so obviously there's sadness that comes with that. There's despair that comes with that. Um, there's anger, frustration that comes with that. And again, all of those feelings are absolutely valid. Um, and we should hold those and feel those again, so that, so one, it didn't happen for no reason. So I remember I had tea, I had tea on the hood of a Humvee with, uh, this guy that that owned this land in, in Southern Iraq. Um, so he was, I'm going to screw this up. He was Shiite. He was Shia, right. And, and, um, so I'm saying was Sunni. And so all of his sons, were either killed in the uh, Iraq-Iran war, killed by Saddam Hussein, or imprisoned and probably being tortured, right? So all of his sons, he only had daughters left. And so he's having tea with me and thanking us profusely um, for what it is that we're doing. And so we, and the same thing in Afghanistan, right? We've worn their clothes, we've had dinner with them, we've had tea with them. And so that provided space that provided a capacity and space for a a potential of hope. It provided hope in that time. And so rest assured that that hope still exists. We've now planted a seed of, of liberty, civility, love, you know, freedom, whatever you want to call it. We've planted that seed by our presence there by fighting alongside these Afghan soldiers um, and interpreters, um, we've planted a seed. And, and you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, well, the Afghans didn't want enough. No, they, like they died at a way higher rate than we died. And they continue to die at that high rate, even when in 2014, like we've only died in single and low double digit numbers, which is still, you know, I, I get the argument, like we shouldn't even be there. It's never going to work. They're too tribal, you know, all of these. And I've read uh, The Bear Goes Over the Mountain and The Eagle Goes Over the Mountain, you know, all these books on the tactics and strategy of all of that and, you know, how it's such a difficult place and, you know, sort of the geopolitical perspective of uh, that region and, and how difficult that is and, and how much they're going to have to fight, you know, for that in order to retain it and hold it and have it. Um, but the thing is, like, we planted hope. So I think that the, the person that sat in is like, what was the point? So it's sort of the story of, uh, you know, it's that fable or, or fabled story or, or, or um, fable or whatever of the, I think it was like Chinese fable or something like that, Japanese, something where the, you know, the dad's like, um, oh, you know, we'll see, we'll see. But, you know, it's, it's um, the dad's supposed to serve, 
can't serve his, or his son has to serve or whatever. His son ends up breaking his arm. I, I don't know. And can't go and serve or whatever. So like every single part of the journey, right. Every single stage, it seems like traumatic and, and horrible. And the outcome is going to be so bad. And we're, you know, we're thinking, you know, into the future, like, Oh, this is so bad. And he's like, I, I don't know. We'll see. And then the bad ends up turning to good. And then the good ends up turning to bad and the bad ends right. And so on and so forth. And so, you know, I think that there is hope for that. We, what we can't understand as humans, we're, we're pretty intelligent and we can, we can wrestle with some really complex thought, but what we don't know is sort of that butterfly effect, right? Um, sort of that chaos theory effect of, of like what happens now and how that might change what will happen in the future. Um, and so the smallest little act now might drastically change um, some scenario in the future. And, and so a small bad act or even a big horrible act might drastically change the future for just an even more incredible good. And, you know, and I don't know, I, a lot of times it's, it's easy for me to see the United States as sort of this like worldwide bully where we just pistol whip, you know, blind kids or whatever, because we have such this strong power um, in our military. At the same time, like I had tea on the hood of that Humvee and that was a good instance, you know, for certain. And there was good that came out of that, regardless of how you play out all the other geopolitical things and, and, and stuff like that. It's like, I can hold on to that and know that that was good. And the same thing goes in Afghanistan. You can hold on to those moments that where you watched your buddy die, or you, you know, sat down to tea with somebody, or, you know, you gave hope to a people that didn't have hope. Like there are some ki kids in Afghanistan right now, they're 15 years old, 16 years old, and they have never experienced the oppressive regime of the Taliban. You don't think that they're going to be rubbed a little bit wrong by now the Taliban stepping in and doing what they're doing. You don't think that that's not going to create some sort of a little bit of a, a, of an issue for them mentally, spiritually, physically, right? Where they're, they're going to maybe want to do something. Um, and they're, and, you know, there's still fighting going on. There's still Afghans that have strongholds that are wanting a, a better life for the entirety of Afghanistan. Um, and so there's still hope. And I mean, I know there's bigger geopolitical things like China and, you know, all of these other things that are going on. Um, but so that's the, that's the second, right? And, and so I think that we can hold out hope. And there's things that we can do. And I'll, I'll talk about that with a third. The third thing to me, where my heart, so I, and I get it. I'm saddened. I, I brought tears in my eyes again to, to think about, you know, buddies that have died or, or Iraqis that have died when, you know, when I was in Iraq or whatever for no reason, um, because, you know, I just got turned over or whatever. Um, but to me, it's the humanity of it. I see each human, regardless of their belief of having incredible worth. Each human has such incredible. And so I, and a, a lot of this has, has been overwhelming in, in me coming to Christ and me being a believer. Um, I remember I went to India <clears throat> one year, not a believer, but I went on a short-term missions trip. And what I did was like the F it, let them burn kind of a thing. There's such intense poverty there that it's palpable. You could feel it. You could smell it in the air. You could see it and you could feel it. It's horrible. 
And I remember it was so horrible that I didn't want to feel any feelings. And so I got really good at like just separating those things. So I put it in its little box and I put it over here and I was like, F it, let the world burn, right? Let them do whatever they do. The next year I was saved, right? So the next year, uh, so that was 2000, early uh, 2009 or late 2008 when I went. The next year, May 21st, 2009, I was saved. I went at the same time to the same places and I was brought to tears, crushed by the souls. And we, I think we need to feel these feelings. We need to hold space for them, just like those other you know, perspectives. You need to hold space for that. You need to see that as valid feelings. And then, okay, so what does that mean now going forward? Um, and so for me, it's like, I need to hold space for this. And for me, it's fueled. Um, I, you know, I tried to hop on a team to go over there. Uh, that didn't happen. That was like too last minute or whatever. Um, but then I realized I was actually thinking about it and I was praying about it, uh, in the morning, actually yesterday morning. And, uh, and I was like, so imagine if, imagine if a Christian acted, truly acted Christ-like in their life and were, were able to disciple another person in Christ to act Christ-like. So Christ-like is sacrificially loving people, servant as a, as a servant leader. Um, and so if God was me with my strengths and my abilities, and my intelligence and, um, and my body um, in this time, in this day, right here, what would, you know, what would that look like? How would that get walked out in my life? And so um, I, I was reading a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And they're like, do the math on if one person was to disciple another person. And in six months, those two people then discipled another person to then disciple another person. It's the whole leaders of leaders thing. It's the whole brotherhood of fatherhood thing, right? It's exactly that. It's being intentional with somebody. So imagine if that happened six months at a go, right? Six months, six months, six months. In 16 and a half years, the entire world, the entire world would be disciples in Christ. And so I, and I thought about that. And, and so what it made me understand is, Right now, I do have connection. I do have influence. I have the opportunity to be intentional with people, to be sacrificially loving, to forgive even my enemies, um, and to wish them well, and to wish them this overwhelming sense of love and experience that I have. Um, and that can be far more pervasive. That can create far more change for humanity. And then you won't see the Taliban beating women and an 18 month old getting crushed by mobs because they're trying to run from the Taliban to get on these flights. You, you won't, these things won't happen because people will be walking out a, a much higher sense of humanity than, oh, me and mine. Like, I want power. I want money. I want control. I want this. And I mean, it's happening in Afghanistan at a really incredible level where it's very vivid and very easy to see and, and feel that, you know, pain and suffering, but it's happening in the United States too, you know, maybe a lower level, maybe a it's getting controlled a bit or whatever, um, but it's still happening. And so, and so then that's my third thought on it is my heart just breaks for the human that is there. My heart even breaks for the Taliban. And I pray that they can experience love in a way where they don't feel like they have to crush people and beat people and kill people 
that don't believe what they believe, um, but they can use words and use love to change people's lives versus violence and fear. And so don't get me wrong. Like I train, uh, very and very violent with very violent tools because, you know, I don't want to be stuck at the end of a barrel of a gun with, with my kids with me and just cower and be frozen with fear. Um, I want to be able to protect them and give them an opportunity at the same, you know, it's the whole Bruce Lee. I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so that's my thought on Afghanistan. Hopefully that helps your listeners, uh, your followers, the the group on, on Facebook. Uh, it, it is brutal and, and man, it, it just sucks. And, and yeah, so as I said, there's, there's things that you can do. There's groups right now that are sending in teams. Um, so one of them is, uh, what is it called? Let me, I got to look it up here. Save our allies. Hmm saveourallies.org. Um, Tim Ballard, he does Operation Underground Railroad. He, he started something called the Nazarene Fund and they're sending um, people over there. Um, and then um, also there's a, I, you have to go to my Instagram at Aaron Guyette to see it, but there's, it's, I, I'm going to screw it up. It's like Strong Oak Foundation or something like that. And it's a former vet <clears throat> or a former Marine, uh, a vet, who's helping other veterans, but he's also helping allies. And he's actually going over there uh, with his son, I believe, um, to get on some of these uh, fast react missions. So th- there's civilians that are doing what politicians are too afraid to do right now. Sounds um, they're, yeah, they're taking and they're nonprofit organizations getting funded by people that care and going over there. So you can fund, you can pray. Uh, and you know, some of you might have certain skill sets where you can uh, be a part of it. I, I put my name in the hat and it didn't get taken yet. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm sure that if, uh, my boss heard me say this, uh, he would be furious, but I have talked this over with my wife and I've done some, you know, missions down in Tijuana and stuff like that for, um, to liberate women from sex trafficking and human, human trafficking, um, and I'd be, uh, totally willing to pursue those things again. And my wife is like, yeah, uh, if you it, like go, go and do this because her heart is just shattered. Um, as I'm sure most of the listeners hearts are shattered when they see stuff like that as well. Yeah. I, I can't, that's why I asked is because it's, it's heartbreaking from my perspective. I never served, um, never even thought of it. No one introduced it to me. It just wasn't even a thought. And I would have been right in the mix of Iraq, but, um, but I needed to hear that perspective and I, and other men like me and other men who have served and are really hurting need to hear that perspective. And it's, it's actually a perspective of hope, which is a, yeah. what we need. And uh, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's honorable and, and the right way to, to think about it. Um, yeah. I want to wrap this up, not because I'm done asking you all sorts of questions. Cause I really do feel like, this is like two or three more episodes, but I want to wrap this up to honor your time. And I always ask um, every man that comes on this, uh, the last question, which is, you know, if you, when you pass away, if you had an opportunity to kind of see the way that your children were raising their children, what would that look like? What would you say my legacy has been passed on? What would you see? What would it, what would, how would they be living their lives? Yeah. So, my personal values are Christ-likeness, sacrificial love, and servant leadership. Um, and actually, Angela helped me 
carve those out. I think I had like 20 values. It was like, <laughs> uh, maybe less, maybe do yeah. less. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, um, so I think first and foremost, if, you know, and, and so they're my personal values, but they're also our family's values. They're also our homeschool values. Um, and so if number one, I think if my children had those as their three most important values, um, I'd be like, yeah, you're, you're amazing. Um, but then the other is, you know, actually putting some handles on it and putting it into the world. Are they, are they acting in, with autonomy? Meaning being able to be free to make mistakes and make choices with these values in their life um, and figure things out. Um, and so we try to build those things in them now um, in the small ways because they're young, but that will get bigger and bigger. Autonomy will get more and more pronounced as they get older. And then are they, are they in pursuit of mastering something? At least one thing. Um, whether it be parenting, like you said, success isn't necessarily career or money or whatever. It could be, um, yeah, impact. It could be ministry. It could be, I mean, there's a million ways to cut that. Right. Um, but are they pursuing mastery in some way, shape or form? And then, um, has, has God showed them clearly? I, you know, I believe Christ likeness and, and Christ. It's like, we have a purpose of discipling other disciples in Christ. Um, that's pretty evident and clear in, in scripture and Bible, <laughs> but, but beyond that, it's like, so, but you have individual strengths, you have individual aspects and, and abilities. What, and so if they've, if they also have purpose, um, and not that there needs to be more purpose beyond uh, discipling other disciples, but, uh, but do they have purpose beyond that? And so autonomy, mastery, and purpose, staying true to those values, I would just, I would be floored um, and amazed and so incredibly grateful if that, if that was being walked out as adults. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I know those are near and dear to your heart. So, and I, I love it when people talk about their personal values. I think there's so much value in, excuse the repeating of words, but in really having those defined and like you, it's, you can have a massive list. This is an encouragement to men who haven't done this. You're thinking, Oh my gosh, I don't know how to put that together. Get somebody to help you. And yeah. As soon as I did that, it was like, Oh, this is, this is cool. It's really kind of refined down and it's very clear. Um, have your values. I, I talk about value ladder, know the order of those values. So for hundred percent, I'll say it a hundred times. Like I, I know some men will be like, you're crazy, but God definitely comes before anything else. And then my wife, then my 100%. kids, I know it's brotherhood of fatherhood, but you cannot serve your kids if you're not serving your wife. And yeah, so hundred percent understand those, make every decision based on those act on those. And so values are, are paramount in understanding the direction and guiding your life in the direction you want it to go. So I'm really appreciative that you shared those. Yours are epic. Those are pretty, those are pretty good. Um, Thank you. So Aaron, you mentioned it earlier, how people could find you. There's AaronGuyette.com. I think I'm saying you're right. Your last name, correct? Yep. Uh, at mm -hmm. Aaron Guyette. Is that Instagram and Facebook or just? Insta? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, Actually, Facebook might be Aaron Davis Guyette, but you'll find me if you search Aaron Guyette. There's another Aaron Guyette who's on the East Coast and I've watched him grow up from a kid when he first got on social media funny. to now he's like, in the fitness industry. It's pretty oh, wow. cool. I'm like, wow. Oh, cool, man. 
That's um, so there's another Aaron guy out there, but yeah, you can Google Aaron guy and I'll pop up. All right. Yeah. And of course, uh, leaders of leaders, which I think most of the men, uh, that, that I mean, there's a lot of men that are going to be looking at that. And I really encourage yeah. them. And all of these links, you guys will be in the, in the podcast notes, always just go to, to, to Apple podcasts or any podcast. Actually, we put them in the notes as well as, um, if you follow me, I'll be connected. Cause I'm going to go follow all of these. And cause I, I, I absolutely love what you're doing, Aaron. And then of course at living fit, we got to put that in there. And, um, 100 in his strength, all of these, I'm just absolutely fascinated and, um, really excited to watch them and, uh, maybe be a part of something at some point. So really thrilled. It's really great to meet you. Really thankful to, um, Angelo for connecting us. Such a cool dude. Absolutely. And, uh, just, uh, really glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. I'm, I'm honored, blessed by this whole time that we got to spend together and, uh, yeah, I'll look forward to a lot more time. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from the Brotherhood of Fatherhood.